Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Thank you, Father, that every chain has been broken. That Jesus came to set captives free. And if every chain has been broken, then that means that there's no chain that has a hold of you except the one that you hold on to. There's a a gap between what was and what is. And Satan doesn't have the authority to bridge that gap. He has no authority to come and bridge that gap between what used to bind you and the freedom you have in Christ. The only one with the authority to reach back and grab hold of that chain of bondage is you. He has no authority to bridge the gap except what you give him. And I just want to encourage you, if, if there's something, whether it be, be fear or an addiction or anything that you struggle with, that, that you feel like, if I'm set free, why does this thing seem to have a hold on me? It has no hold on you except the hold that you have on it. If you let it go, turn your back. That's why Paul said, I forget what lies behind. And one thing I do, I press forward towards the high mark of the calling that I may lay hold of that which laid a hold of me. In other words, I have to grab onto something and I'll turn my back on anything behind me and I'll only grab forward and reach forward towards the high mark of the calling of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to lay a hold of the thing that's laid a hold of me. I'm no longer a slave. Paul said it was for freedom that you were set free. Why would you then allow yourselves to once again be enslaved to sin, to a yoke of bondage of sin? You have to allow that to happen once you've been set free by Jesus. So I just pray right now for every person that that has something that, that they feel like, man, if I'm set free, then how come? Because your feelings will lie your your temptation will lie, the enemy will you guys listen, we've all seen that video now, probably, of the anchor man giving the report of the storm. And he's fighting listen, this is what fear does to you. It's not real. He's creating something to make you feel something. And as you watch him fighting into the wind and rocking back and forth and being buffeted by the wind, you look at that and that's what, what, what gives you the perception you have until truth comes casually walking by in the form of two teenage boys. Truth, truth holding an iPhone comes strolling by in the background. If, listen, if you had a friend that lied to you as many times as your fear did, you probably wouldn't listen to them anymore, would you? You've been lied to long enough. Truth is casually walking in the face of the storm while fear is trying to make it to be something that it's not and trying to tell you that you have reason to fear. You have no reason to fear. It's lost its grip. The chain's been broken. Let go of it. Turn your back on it. Press forward and lay hold of the thing that's laid a hold of you. So, Father, for every person that would feel that way, I just pray right now that truth would come. That, that, that we would see, Father God, any area of our lives where we've allowed ourselves to hold on to something, even without knowing and sometimes with the best of intentions, where we've bridged that gap and given that, place, that thing a place to speak into our lives, Father. We ask that it would be cut off and shown to us and that we would not use our authority to give ourselves to something that you gave your life for us to be free from. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 4. Thank you guys for, for coming, making it in the middle of the hurricane. Well, we had people asking last night, like, if there's going to be church. And I, I started thinking, maybe there's something going on I'm unaware of. Because I'm thinking, like, well, why wouldn't we have church, you know? Like, and so, uh, but I guess it was just, sometimes things get hyped up. You know, and the storm was bad on the coast, and, you know, we certainly want to be praying for the people who are impacted by it, and, and, uh, and there's a lot of property damage and stuff like that. But even in the middle of that, like, let's be praying from a place of hope that people who find themselves at the end where there's nothing that they can do will actually run into the face of a God who loves them and can restore all things. That there be people filled with the Spirit in every one of those places that are speaking truth into people's lives and letting them know that there's a God who, who can redeem anything that's destroyed. That even with the years that the locust has, has destroyed, that he's able to redeem that. And that there's things that are so much more important than property and, and than possessions. And, and so that, that what the enemy means for evil, God will always turn and use for good. And so we just pray for the people whose lives are impacted, but we also pray for the people who are there on the ground speaking truth to people who are, who are in fear or, or are devastated by what they've lost and letting them know that, that this isn't the end. 
that, 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 that he's able to redeem and he's able to restore and that good would come from it. Um, so Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, I, I've been talking about this story for a couple, I don't know, it feels like a few weeks. Um, I wasn't here last week. I was out of town. Uh, I don't know if some of you guys probably don't know this, but I, um, I do the pottery. And uh, <laughs> I do, I make pots. I make specific pots for bonsai trees. And so every two years, there's the U.S. National Bonsai Show in Rochester, New York. And I go there, and, and I accumulate stock for a long time. And I go there, and I sell it, and I hang out with friends that are in the bonsai. And I just nerd out on, on trees for, <laughs> for a weekend. And, and uh, it would probably bore most of you in this room to death to be there for a day, never mind three. But, but for me, it's just a good time. And, and, um, and the cool thing about it is, is this, is that in that community, um, like so many art communities, there's a lot of people there that aren't just like godless. They're anti-God. Um, they, they, they think they are. Um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that a lot of creative people think and see things differently, and the church has been afraid of questions rather than welcoming them, and so they've been, they think they've been rejected by God. They haven't. They've just been rejected by people, and so they find a bunch of other people who have also been rejected by God, and together they reject the one they think was rejecting them, and it wasn't at all. It was just his people singling people out and not, re- not welcoming people in because they looked, acted, or talked a little differently. Or they asked questions they didn't know they weren't supposed to ask. We have to understand that, you know what, everybody doesn't have the background we have, and everybody doesn't see things the way that we see them. And, and there is right and wrong, but there's also a place to love people and say, like, you're more important than me having an argument that I win. And, and I promise if you'll just come in and let us love you, you'll see that, like, following Jesus is the greatest way to live. If it's not, then what's the point? I mean, it's a scam anyways. You tell them it's the greatest way to live to get them to come to church, and then when they come to church, they discover that there's a bunch of angry people that don't want anything to do with them. They're not going to stay anyways. So we might as well not scare them off and get them in and actually love them and have them open up their heart to the Father rather than be rejected by a form of him that denies his power. That's my rant. No, because, listen, I do think this. I think that, that, that in order to see what God wants to see happen Every single circle of society needs to be impacted by the gospel and by people who carry the truth. And, and, and especially in the South where we have this culture that, that defines what things should look like and, and we have this idea and this mold that we try to press everything into, if we don't get used to the fact that there's people out there that God loves that are created equally in his image as any of us that look different, talk different, sound different, and act different than we do, we're going to miss out on showing the heart of God to a beautiful side of society that are going to reject the idea of him because they've never met the actuality of him. And let that not be us. Like, that doesn't mean, like, that's not saying that we start, you know, you, know, you get soft on, no, we get soft on hearts. It's not soft on sin. It's like they're doing what they should be doing. Because there was a time when you too were an enemy in your mind, an enmity with God. Like, why do we expect people that haven't understood the love he has for them to live like they do? They haven't been shown it yet. Why would they be living in response to it? There's, there's, there's tons of people out there that have been sold. You know, we talk about this. Like, you know, if you made cookies and instead of sugar, you use baking soda. And you went around telling people that never had chocolate chip cookies, asking them if they want cookies. They'd take one bite, it would burn their tongue, it'd be caustic, they would spit it out, and for the rest of their lives, they would reject the idea of chocolate chip cookies because someone sold them a bad batch of cookies. If we're not careful, we'll present a Jesus to people that's nothing like him, and we'll so turn people off that when the real Jesus enters the room, they won't even give it a chance because they think they already know what he tastes like. We have to love people. Yeah, that means having hard conversations sometimes with people if they ask you questions about things. But in, a, in the form of a conversation with someone who understands that you love them, it's a whole lot easier to communicate a truth than it is to go to somebody that you don't know that has no idea that you care about them and try to win an argument with them and beat them into submission. Even if they throw up their hands and say you're right and walk away and you never see them again. How good is that? What did that prove? What did it win? I don't know why I need to say that, but I do. I, I just, our church has so many creative, artistic people here. And I feel like there's going to be more and more coming. And I want us to be aware of that and, and not just tolerate each other, but value and appreciate each other. See each other and value and appreciate who we are rather than stumbling over who we're not or why we're not the same. Here's the point. Every one of us is created in the image and the likeness of God. 
Now, that's been marred by sin, and there's some things that people have put on and covered up, and there's things that need to be peeled back, and the truth needs to be revealed. The truth of the matter is, is they're not doing it because they think that's, they're not like intentionally covering up the glory of God that they were created for. They just don't know better yet. They need to be loved to a place of understanding who he is so that they can actually become who they were created to be. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was free. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says, um, says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Father, I thank you that there's so much truth hidden in your word. And you said it's, it's the glory of, of God to conceal a matter and the glory of a king to search it out. And so, Father, as we've all been called into this royal priesthood, we, we, we count it a privilege and an honor to search out and to discover your truth. That your truth isn't hidden from us, it's hidden for us. Father, you gave us the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us into this truth. Father, that, that it would go into our hearts and, and change our lives so that the world would see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and taste and see your goodness and want you because of what they see in our lives. Thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, here's the thing. If, if the fruit of the Spirit isn't appetizing to the world, it's not the fruit of the Spirit. Who doesn't want peace in the middle of chaos? Who doesn't want joy in the middle of depression? Who doesn't want someone who's trustworthy, faithful, gentle, meek, kind, who controls themselves? Who, who doesn't want that? Like, who's ever rejected that when it's presented to them purely? Not with a hook. Not with a, I'll be kind to you so that you will. No, that's not kindness. That's manipulation. That's saying, I'll act a certain way so that you believe something so that I can get you to believe or get you to do or get you to say a prayer, get you to come. We don't need a hook. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance, and that happens to be desire for him to put on display through our lives. If it's really his kindness that leads us to repentance, and we are his hands and feet on the, on, in the earth, then how is his kindness shown? It's through his people. Like, like, think about this, right? Like, we have no problem believing and understanding this concept when we talk about healing. Like, Jesus told us as believers to heal the sick. James said, pray for the sick and they'll be healed. Like, it's not like up for debate or discussion or what did he think. It's in the word, and it's there whether or not our experience matches up or lines up. So let's not even get hung up on the debate of how come and why not. Let's just say that this is what God's word said. But when someone does get healed when we pray for them, none of us have any problem saying it was the Lord that did it, not me. It's the same thing with kindness. When you show kindness to people, it's the way God shows it is through you. It's not you being so good. It's the kindness of God that dwells in you being manifest to the world around us. That's how he shows his kindness to people is through his people. It's how he heals people is through his people. It's how the gospel gets preached. This is how will they know unless people preach? In other words, this gospel truth has to be communicated by mouths. And yet when people get born again, we don't take the credit for it. It's the same thing with his kindness drawing people to repentance. It's not because of our goodness. It's because of the kindness of God that dwells within us that's drawing people. And if the kindness of God in us isn't drawing people to him, we have to ask ourselves, is his kindness on display in our lives? The disciples had people trying to buy what they had. How can I have this power? I'll pay you for it. A man who had kings eating from the palm of his hand saw these untrained, unskilled fishermen and the way they lived their lives and saw something that he wanted to purchase. He saw true power on display. And he wanted to give his resources to gain what they had. I'm just saying that if no one ever wants what we have, I'm not saying someone's going to come up and offer to pay you for it, but you might be surprised. You might be surprised that the reason they're paying you to do something isn't because they need what you're doing, it's because they want what you have. Yeah, you, you might be surprised that, that you land jobs or that you get invited into things or you get invited to be a part of things and, and, and don't get puffed up and think like it's because of my amazing abilities. Maybe, but maybe it's because the peace of God that you carry, they just want that and the only way they know to get it is to pay you for it. But if no one ever wants it, then we have to ask ourselves, is it the authentic kindness of God that's being displayed through us as his people? 
Because everywhere Jesus went, people were drawn to his kindness. Now, everywhere he went, people rejected him as well. So when you get rejected, don't beat yourself up and say, I must not be in kind. But if you're always rejected, never sought out, then you have to really start asking yourself, is, a, is the kindness of God in display through my life? I keep trying to get to this message, and I keep feeling like, <sighs> um, so, so, so I, I went to the show, and, and, um, and while I was there, it was, it was incredible because people kept coming up and asking me about Aaliyah and how she was doing because I, I, have, a, I have a Facebook page that I only use for pottery and, and, and bonsai stuff. I don't put, there's nothing like personal on there. Besides, I did give some updates on Aaliyah on there, and everybody found out about it. And the, the pottery the bonsai world did a, did a fundraiser for our family and just blessed our family. And, um, but, but through this, so, so when I first started doing this stuff and I use Facebook, it's a way that I connect with people. And actually, it's how I sell my stuff, honestly. It goes all over the world now. Um, and when I first started doing it, I felt like the Lord said, don't preach to people. Let them come to you, which is hard for me. Like, if you know me, you know that, like, I want to preach. I, I've got a verse for everything. <laughs> is that not true? I mean, I'm telling you, like, everything that comes up, there's a verse. Like, God spoke to that already. Like, dang it. <laughs> and I felt like he said, don't preach to people. Let them come to you. And so I muzzled it. And, 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 it, and honestly, like, it takes more effort for me to not preach to people than it does for a lot of people to preach to people. Like, like the same way that you would be like, ooh, God, I need your help if he asked you to preach. I'm the same way when he tells me not to. I'm like, Lord, I need your help with that. Like, I got to have grace. I'm serious. I need grace. I can't, I can't do this on my own. And I recognize that. Like, because me, I'm prone to just want to give answers and give truth and give scripture. And, and so, so but, but this is the, weird, the weirdest things that have been happening is that I've just been a Christian without the need to preach to anybody. But I've just been kind to people. I've just been generous. I've just been nice. I've actually cared about people and asked them about things that are going on rather than just hitting a frown face on the little like button on Facebook. I think that's weird, right? Like, <laughs> I do. I, that whole thing escapes me, but whatever. It serves a purpose, I'm sure, and there's some good that comes from it. But, but if, you, if I saw somebody saying something about going through something, like this uh, one guy that I'm friends with, went, his family went through a really hard time. There was, there was a, a, his sister-in-law was killed and they had to take the kids in, and, and he was just really struggling. So I just took the time to write him and just told him, like, hey, man, I'm really praying for you guys, and, and I'm so thankful that those children have you and your wife to come into their home, and I know that God will give you the grace to, and I don't even know if this guy's a Christian, but I believe this, so I'm just going to tell him that. Like, I believe that God's going to give you the grace. And then he, he's like, can I call you? He calls me, and he's just crying on the phone and saying, you're the realest person I've ever met. And I'm thinking, we've never met. But, but in a world that is is shallow and where kindness is in short supply and genuine care is in short supply. It's amazing what actually caring about somebody does for them and how it opens them up. So, so, so a little while later, there's another guy, and his son had a heart problem. He's born with a heart condition, and he, uh, he messaged me and, about it, and he said, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. Maybe it's just I saw the way that you lived through what went on with your daughter and and I admire something about it, even though I'm not sure what, but I just wanted to tell you about your son. And I said, your, your son's going to be fine. I, I promise he's going to be okay. And I said, you just, you just relax. And I said, honestly, put your concern with your wife right now, because she's a mom who had her baby taken from her and flown to a hospital she can't even see. Like, put your attention on her, because your son's going to be fine. A week later, his son's fine. The heart condition healed itself up, and, and yeah. But listen, but here's the thing. A few days later, I get a message from him. He said, you know, this whole thing has made me think that maybe there's more to life than I've ever thought. And he said, and I was telling my wife this, and I was telling her how I want my life to change, and I want to be a kind, generous person that actually cares about people. And she said, like your friend Roy, why don't you ask him what makes him the way he is? You know how easy evangelism is when they call you and they say, he said, can I call you? Do you know how easy evangelism is when someone starts the conversation saying that to you? It's so natural then because they've tasted and seen his goodness. They just didn't know it was his goodness. And all you have to do is tell them, oh, the thing that you like, here's what it is. This thing that you're being drawn to, it's him. And just explain that to him. And so, and he's like, yeah, I've been doing this meditation stuff where I just get alone and try to empty my mind. And I said, well, maybe, maybe think about grabbing a Bible and just starting to read it. And I said, and, and I said, here's the thing. If he's real, then he's real. I said, you could just get alone with him and say, God, if you're real, I need you to show yourself to me. 
If you said that you're a father, then be a father. I said, just get alone with him and just ask him to be who he said he would be and watch what happens. A couple weeks ago, I got a text from him that said, or a message from him. He said, I'm still moving forward in these things, and I'm starting to think that maybe what you're saying is true. I've got a lot of questions, though. And I said, questions are awesome because they're just the beginning of this dialogue and discovering who God is and who he made you to be. I had another guy, that, and, and this is not boasting in me, guys, at all. I promise you, I, I, any of you guys can get up here and tell stories. What I'm saying is, like, maybe we've made this evangelism thing harder than it has to be. And, and maybe it more looks like, and I, and I agree with going on outreach and stuff that Corey's talking about. I love that idea. Go and serve people and, and fill gaps where there's actual need and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm saying, like, in our daily lives, like, rather than going out looking for targets, what if we just went out and, and lived our lives the way Jesus called us to live? And, and, and if he calls you to preach stuff, preach stuff. Look, if he tells you to stand up on a table at a restaurant and declare the gospel, do it, because there's grace on it. But don't make yourself do that because that's what you think evangelism is. There needs to be the grace on it, right? And so, like it, it said sometimes that Paul, seeing that the grace to heal was there, acted on it. In other words, he didn't just act. He saw where the grace of God was, and then he followed that grace, and he acted on that grace. And so um, I had a, there's this guy who's an, a, an atheist college professor who I befriend, befriended, and he, he wrote this thing up, and um, he, was talking, he wrote a blog post about the people he's met through Bonsai and how that's been the most amazing part of it. And, and in there, he names some people, and he gets to me, and he says... I'm not sure what it is, but there's something about being around this guy that makes you glad that you're alive. It's the goodness of God. Because I know me apart from him. There was nothing about me that made you glad to be around me apart from the Lord. I'm serious. Like, everybody that met me walked away worse for meeting me when I was living for myself and I wasn't yielded to him and the Spirit of God wasn't who, who, what was leading and guiding me. But I'm, and I'm saying all this up to say, listen, maybe we could simplify it down to just loving people, caring about people, and actually genuinely believing that the kindness of God displayed by his people will draw men to want what we have. And then it's an easy sell because you're not trying to sell them something. You're actually meeting a need that they have in their heart that they didn't even realize they had. And so I, I, I honestly feel like that's what revival looks like. It's, man, there's, yeah, we'll see healing, and we'll see words of knowledge, and we'll see prophetic words, and the gifts of the Spirit, and all this stuff. This stuff's all amazing. Paul said that. He said, he said earnestly desire of those things. He said, but if you have all those things, and you don't love people, they're useless. Why? Because those things can attract people, but if there's not love there to receive them, they'll be turned off and turned away. There has to be love to receive people to what the gifts attract them to. That's what changes people. Those things will draw men to him, but he has to be there when they get there. Otherwise, it's a clanging symbol that draws attention but does nothing for the people that are hearing. In fact, the problem with a clanging symbol is this. A lot of times if a symbol clangs long enough, you do this. Because you don't want to hear. And then every time you see a symbol, you walk the other direction because the last time you were near it, it just offended your ears and didn't touch your heart. That was free, too. Um, well, I, just, I'll, I want to talk about a part of this, and then maybe we'll get to the rest of it. And we're going to expand on it anyways, because we're starting to talk about just hearing God. Um, be, because I think sometimes we have these different ideas of what it is to hear God. You know? So when I talk to people, I'm saying, that, you know, I felt like the Lord showed me, or the Lord said. And one time a guy was like, so when God speaks to you, he just like talks. Like if I was in the room, could I hear it? And I'm like, God, duh. No, not usually. In fact, I don't know that I've ever heard the audible voice of the Father speak. And you know, maybe there were times where I assumed it wasn't and it was, but, but I, it's, it's this, this thing inside of me. It's this knowing. It's the Spirit of God communicating spirit to spirit. If God is spirit, then the spirit within us is in communication. And so you have this more of a knowing. or this, this, A lot of times I know it's the Lord because I think of things that are way beyond my ability to think of. And they're so much better than what I could come up with on my own. I'm like, that has to be the Lord. I'm not capable of coming up with that on my own at all. And, um, but, but, but so, so I want to talk about that, but the first thing I want to talk about is, is this idea that, that Jesus put forth here when he answered, because it's more than just Jesus saying, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father to shut down the enemy in an instance. It's actually him declaring something that is true then and would be true forever. So, so here's the deal. Jesus in his humanity is led out into the wilderness and he's there for 40 days and he becomes hungry. Like when is God hungry? He's never hungry. 
He is completely self-sufficient, self-contained, and, and within the Trinity, there is no hunger. And so, 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 at, so, so Jesus is fully God, yet he lays that aside, and he lives as a man. And so we can read through these things sometimes and just go, well, that was Jesus. But the truth of the matter is, is he actually was hungry. He was starving at that point. And the, the, the point I'm making is he actually felt something. Like, we have these feelings, and we are so driven by them sometimes, that, that sometimes we, we, we think that maybe we're different than Jesus, so his example is a little bit different, and we don't have to fully follow that in this thing, because we have these feelings that surely Jesus didn't know. He felt hungry, and that's when the enemy came. Like, he'll play on feelings. Like, think about this. The day after you receive a check in the mail to pay off your home is a bad time for the enemy to try to come to you and tell you that God doesn't provide for you and he doesn't care about your financial situation. He wouldn't waste his time. But you get fired from your job or let go or hear that the the company is shutting down. That's a good time. Why? Because there's this real feeling that you're tempted to live by that says, how am I going to provide for my family? There's this question you have and there's this feeling that can come. And just because this feeling tries to come doesn't condemn you. It doesn't mean that you've given into it. It's what you do with that feeling. So in the face of that feeling, Jesus sees that he is hungry. And so the enemy comes to him and says, Oh, well, why don't you turn these stones into bread if you're the Son of God? He's coming to attack the Word of God, and he says, now that you're hungry, why don't you do this? And Jesus looks at him, and he says, man doesn't live by the natural alone, by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of the Father. He was saying, listen, I do live naturally at times, but not when what I feel in the natural opposes what God spoke from his mouth. So in other words, if God called me out here to fast, then I can't live by my hunger. Normally, when you're hungry, you eat. It's your body's way of telling you. You need calories. You need to eat. It's your body's way of trying to preserve itself. And it's a good thing. God created you to feel hunger. Do you understand that he created you to feel hungry? He made your digestive system to the point where when you become hungry, you eat. And so you live by bread, by the natural, on most days. When you get hungry, you eat, except for if God's called you to fast. Then the supernatural trumps the natural, and you don't live by the natural. You live by the word that's proceeded from his mouth, which was don't eat. It's like sleep, right? Like, like when you get tired, you go to sleep. Unless Jesus asks you to come with him to a garden and keep watch and pray. Remember when Jesus, he called his, his disciples, some of them with him, right? And he said, I'm going into the garden to pray. Come with me. Keep watch and pray. He goes away. He prays. He comes back. He finds them asleep. He rebukes them for, the, for it. Why? They were doing what was natural in a moment where there was a word from God to put on the natural on hold and actually live by what he said rather than what they felt. That's the reason he can rebuke them for it is because in the word calling them to it was the grace and the ability to do what he called them to. In other words, they didn't have to give in. They could have denied the natural, and they could have stayed awake and prayed while he was praying. Otherwise, he has no business rebuking them for something that's impossible for them to do. And do you realize that, like, in that moment, they couldn't look at Jesus and say, well, this is just the way I was created? Why? He created them. Think about the the absolute foolishness of looking at the one who created you. By him, all things, and through him, all things are made. Think about the absolute foolishness of the disciples if they would have looked at the one who created them and told them they couldn't do what he said because of the way that they were created. But how many of us, be honest, will try to use that as an excuse even when we've heard the word of God clearly speak to our situation? Well, I'm, this is just the way I am. No, it's not. Not if he spoke something different. That may be the way that you are prone to go in the natural, but the natural bows to the supernatural. And when God speaks, whatever it is that would oppose him that's in you goes on hold so that you follow the word of God. So it's, when it's time to sleep, you go to sleep unless he says stay awake and pray. When it's time to eat, you eat unless he's called you to fast. Like unless there's something that's come from his mouth. And that's what I think Jesus was trying to say in this. That's more than just an answer to the enemy. It's him saying, listen, you don't live by the natural when the voice of God is speaking. That's why he says man doesn't live on bread alone. In other words, you do live on bread partially, but, but, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of the Father. In other words, there's something greater than the natural. And so that's what we live by. And if the 
natural ever confronts the spoken word, the written word of God, then the one that has to bow is the natural because the greater is the word of God that's been spoke. So Jesus is looking at him saying, listen, I feel hungry right now. Like he's not like just walking around on a cloud. He's not. He's not like, I'm not hungry. If God called me to fast, why would I ever feel hungry? If God called me to do something, why would I ever feel differently? Come on. Think about that. Like you let your feelings dictate whether you're going to follow the voice of God. You could find yourself in some sketchy situations pretty quick. Because here's Jesus having to decide, do I follow the feeling that was created? I was created to feel this. Yet my father has spoke something different, so I deny that and I follow this. Come on. Fear is not supposed to have a hold on you. Because the same God that said don't steal said don't fear, yet we take one as a command and the other as like this lofty goal. But the truth is, he said both with equal weight. Do not fear. Be anxious over nothing. Don't steal. Why? Because here's the point. If I trust his word, then I have a reason not to steal because I'm not my own source and my own provider. In the same way, if I trust his word, then I have a reason not to fear because no matter what I'm facing, there's a word from God that directly confronts whatever it is that would be causing me to fear. And so in that moment, I get to choose, will I live by my feelings? Will I live by the natural? Or will I live by the words that have proceeded from the mouth of the Father? Are you guys awake this morning? The hurricane have you like quiet or what? Um, and this is why, like, like, seriously, this is why we talk so much here about knowing like, the Word of God and the written Word of God especially because so many of the things we face in life are answered in His Word. Think about Jesus. He is the Word. He's the Word made flesh. Everything He says immediately becomes Word. Yet when confronted by the enemy, He answers Him with a Word that was already written. He could have said anything, and it would have became the word. Yet he reaches back to what's already been, to the proceeded word of, of God, the word that's already proceeded from his mouth. And he says, God's already spoke in this situation. There's no need for me to try to come up with my own answer. See, we have so many problems sometimes because we're trying to come up with our own answers to things rather than saying, well, this is what God said. Jesus looks at him and says, listen, I, I don't need to come up with a new answer for you because God's already spoken this situation. Everything that he came to Jesus with played on a real feeling or a real desire. Listen, you have real feelings and real desires inside of you. And it's, it's okay to have feelings. It's just not okay to be ruled by them, especially if they would confront or oppose or lead you in the opposite direction of what God spoke to your life. So Jesus has this desire for all the nations of the world to be his. That's a promise of God, that, that the earth and the fullness thereof belong to him. And he is, the, the nations of the earth are his reward. And so he has this desire to be the ruler over the entire world. But yet he's told to come into the world and live his life as a spotless lamb and sacrifice his life and lay it down and be crucified and killed before any of that can happen. So there's a proceeding word that came from God that already said, you're, you're to come onto the earth, you're to live spotless and perfectly, and then you're to lay your life down as the ransom for many. Yet he has this desire for everything to be brought into subjection to him. And so the devil brings him to the top of the temple. What does he do? He plays on a desire and even a truth and says, See all the world? I'll give it all to you. What's he doing? He's playing to this desire that Jesus has to see the nations brought into submission and subjection to him. But it's not time yet because he hasn't gone to the cross. He says, I'll just give you all of these. All you have to do is bow to me. Jesus looks at him and says, I can't do that. I can't follow this feeling. I can't follow this desire because of what God has already spoken, because of what the Father's already spoken. For me to give in to this would mean I have to reject and deny that. And I can't do that because he's already spoken. And if I have to choose behind, between what I want and what he said, I'm going to choose what he said every time because I'm here to deny myself. He says, he says, takes him up and he says, cast yourself down. He'll give his angels charge over you. Jesus knows that there's a day coming where he's going to have to entrust his life into him, even to the point of death and being raised from the dead. He knows that day is coming. It's just not that day today, but he has a desire in him to entrust himself to the one who judges righteous. Remember that it says Jesus answered them not. He kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. 
He had this desire to do that, yet it wasn't the time to do that yet because he hadn't done everything that God had already spoke over his life. So rather than following this desire and being led by the enemy into doing something that wasn't time to do yet, he says, I can't do that because this is what God has said. Because listen, we have to come to a place where the word of God becomes the authority in our lives to where if he's already spoken a situation, I'm not even having a conversation about it. Like literally, it's to the point where like, if I know what God has said, there's no reason. He, you notice he didn't bargain with the enemy? That's what Eve did. Think about the difference between the two. He comes to Eve. Has God really said? Well, yeah, da, 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 da. she has this deep conversation with him, starts reasoning with him, and now she's in his, his territory because now her human reasoning, and suddenly now her desires are kicking in, and she sees the fruit was good for eating and delightful for touching, and there's all these things that she wants. Why? Because she's allowed herself to stray from what God said and have a conversation with the enemy. Jesus doesn't even entertain the thought of trying to conversate, even though he was more prepared than Eve to have a conversation with the enemy and shut him down. He gives us a template for what life should look like when God's already spoke, there's no reason for us to have a conversation. And it doesn't matter what my friends think. It doesn't matter what my parents think. It doesn't matter what I feel in this moment. If he's already spoke, then what he said trumps any of that. And I'm following after what he said. And it's not up for discussion. So if he tells me that I have to forgive people who have hurt me, guess what I have to do? What does it, yeah, but, but I don't feel, and, and this is the way I was, you can't have a discussion with the creator about the way that you were created and use that as an excuse for not doing what he's told you. <laughs> Think about it. it. Like, he's the one who made Dylan's face to grow the beautiful beard that it grows. <laughs> if he tells Dylan to be clean shaven, Dylan can't go to him and say, yeah, but I was created to grow a great beard. You think he doesn't know that? He sees it every day because he's the one who formed him in his mother's womb. And we laugh about that, but listen to me. There's places we will give ourselves rights to stand before the one who created us and blame the way he created us for our inability to follow what he's clearly said. Shoo, not, I mean, no one in here. But those people out there on that, on that video and the podcasters. Come on. It, it, we... We have the, this thing where it's like, if I feel it, then it has to be followed. No, chances are. So, so here's, 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 here's why God looks at it. I'll, we'll just prove it biblically, and that way we make it official. In Joel chapter 3, verse 10, God's speaking to people who are, they are terrified farmers. And he says this to them. He says, beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weakling say I'm strong. He doesn't say, let the strong say I'm strong. He doesn't say, I'll make you strong, and then you say I'm strong. No, he says, listen, in the state that you're in where you understand that you feel weak, I'm telling you what should come from your mouth is I am strong. And not just in a weird way of saying it just to say it, and if I say it enough, then maybe it will happen. No, it's, he's saying, if you trust me, then if I tell you you're strong, then you'll say that you're strong, not because you see why or you see the fruit of it even yet, but you believe there's something that I know that you don't. So you yield what you feel to what I've spoke. And so instead of saying I'm weak, you say I'm strong because you believe when I told you that, that it's actually true. Why? Because you believe my word that comes from my mouth more than you do the way that you feel in this moment. Prove it again, Isaiah chapter 54. Shout for joy, O barren one. You who have borne no child, break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud. You who have not travailed, for the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman. You notice that he doesn't say for the barren woman to wait until she sees her belly growing, to start celebrating. And listen, this talks about so much more than just barrenness. But if, if, if you're in a season where you feel like you want to have a child and, and you've been barren, then let this speak to you. But, but let it speak to every barren area of your life where you haven't seen something that you feel like the Lord has promised you come to pass. Because here's the thing. He tells them, shout for joy, you barren one. We have this thing sometimes where the, like the, 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 the things we say, we've given them, you know, like, okay, just bear, bear, the, bear this out with me. It's not a lack of faith to say, right now I'm barren. Because the only way that you can identify with who he's speaking to is if you actually hear him say, barren ones, do this. You have to say, I'm, talk I'm one of the barren ones. It's, it's a lack of faith, though, to say, and I'll do that when I am no longer barren. 
See, it's not a lack of faith to say, in this moment, right now, I identify with who he's speaking to because I am barren. So that means he's talking to me. The only way you can actually do what he's calling you to do is if you recognize that he's speaking to me. So you say, right now I'm barren, but he said to do this. Why? Because there's a promise that I'm going to have more children than the people who right now are not barren. And so so what he says is, listen, if you believe me, you'll live like you believe me long before you see what you're believing for. He doesn't say, wait until the pregnancy test comes back and then shout for joy. He doesn't say, wait till you feel pregnant. He doesn't say, wait till you can point to your growing belly and say, this is why I'm praising and shouting. I wrote this down. I want to read this. I don't do this a ton, but I felt like this was important enough to read. Why are you shouting for joy in the middle of barrenness? Because he spoke. Because I have a promise from him. And the response to promise is to allow the joy of the fulfillment to invade my present circumstance long before I see it. Because he's trustworthy, he's faithful, and he's good. So I don't say, I, I live in the fruit, I, I, I'm sorry, I live in the joy of the fruit of the promise before I see the fruit because I believe the promise is true. So if, if, when David wrote, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it, that means every single day there's something to rejoice and be glad about. It's either for the promise or it's for living in the fruit of the promise. But I can't delay rejoicing and being joyful for the promise until I see the fruit of the promise because what happens then is I don't get to go back and relive all those days leading up to the promise with that joy anymore. So rather than waiting until I see the fruit, I take him at his word. Even if in this moment I look barren and, I, and the word I've heard is that I am barren, I start to rejoice and thank him for his promise before I actually see the seed of that promise start to grow inside of me. Why? Because I believe him and I take him at his word and I live by his word rather than by the natural. And so I live in the joy of that promise, and I live as though that promise is true before I even see it come to pass. And then when it comes to pass, my joy just goes from glory to glory, from joy to joy. And I don't have to go back and try to relive those days because you can't do that. You can't delay your enjoyment of the promise for the day you see it. You have to start enjoying the promise the minute that you hear it and you believe that his, what he spoke is greater than what I see. Otherwise, you're going to have this delayed gratification thing where every day you're waiting on a promise and you're delaying being full of his joy until you actually see the promise rather than by faith saying, God, I know I don't see it right now, but this is what you spoke. Lord, I know that I feel weak, but you said I'm strong, so I'm going to thank you for strength even though I feel weak. Why? Because I believe what you said more than what I feel. God, you said that I'm not barren. You said I'm actually fruitful. And even though the day of my fruitfulness hasn't come, I'm going to rejoice and shout and praise you now in the day of barrenness because I believe the day of fruitfulness is coming and I'm not going to wait until I see it to believe you and take you at your word. I'm actually going to believe you and take you at your word and live as though it's true now so that when I get to that day, I don't look back with regret at the days I wasted waiting for it to come. Every day, this is the day the joy the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. And so um, I'll just, I'll close up with this, but I was thinking about, um, about how this happens. And my mind always goes to, you know, recently being in the hospital with Aaliyah, it's like six months ago. And, and, and I know I've, I've talked about it a lot, but there, I feel like there's just so many testimonies that come from it and there still will come from it. But, but one of the things I remember was, I remember being in the hospital right away and I remember having the faithful confidence that Aaliyah was going to be okay. And it came, it did not come even in a little bit from what was in the natural like in that moment in the natural, what was being said actually was that she wasn't going to be okay. Like that was where they, where was that? And, and, and you know what? We didn't deny that, that what, like the things they told us were true. She's laying on a bed in a coma. I can look at the screens. I know what the numbers mean. I, I can see that, 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 that that's where she is. But there was this promise from God that I heard him speak over her life a long time ago. And there were promises in the word that I heard him speak. That's why David said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. I've hidden his word in my heart. So when it gets squeezed, what comes out are the promises that I put in there in the good times. So that when I face the hard times, what comes out. I'm not trying to learn how to sail in the middle of a storm. I've learned how to sail over here in the quiet bay, in the calm. When the sun was shining and the birds were chirping and the sky was blue, we would sit around and talk about the promises of God. We would talk about the thankfulness we had for who he was, that he's a God who heals, that he is the one who never leaves or forsakes, that he's a restorer and a redeemer. That's why these things come out of me now is because they were put there then. And so in the, in the quiet, calm bay with the sun shining and the birds chirping and not a cloud in the sky, we learned how to sail so that when we were put into the middle of the raging sea, we didn't have to try to figure out what to do in that moment. We did what we had already learned and developed and cultivated back then. We weren't trying to figure it out in the middle of the hardest time. What we had figured out in the easy times was what kept us through the hardest time. 
And so I had this promise. And so I literally remember feeling awkward at times when people would come to the hospital. Because I had a joy in me for the promise that he spoke over Leah's life. And, and look, I'm not saying there weren't moments of, of where fear tried to come and rob that or were concerned. There were some moments like that. But the overall, from the time we got there till the time we left, there was a joy that filled my heart because I was convinced, and Patty was convinced, and Dylan, and David, and Annie, and Rochelle. I mean, I could name all the people that came, Mindy, and Colin, and everyone, Mark, and everyone that came to the hospital that, 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 that we've sat with and talked about the amazing, you know, just the miraculous God we serve. We had this confidence that, that she's going to be okay. And so when we were sitting around talking, you know, we, of course we would say, well, how's she doing? And you'd give them what the doctors are saying. But the conversation would always quickly turn to the thankfulness we had for the promises of God over her life. And so there was this joy inside of us. And I remember when there were people that came that didn't believe like that. And this is not to put them, that's just where they are. I mean, they would come and they would cry and weep and hug you and tell you they're so sorry and they can't imagine how hard this is and that even if God's still good and all this stuff. And I remember it feeling awkward to me because as they're weeping and, and I appreciated them coming. Listen, you appreciate every person that takes the time to come and be with you and they're pouring out what they know, what you have, you give, right? But I remember it almost being awkward sometimes because I had nothing but joy in my heart in that moment and they're weeping and crying and you feel almost bad and you wanna cry with them but you can't because you had this promise that's speaking constantly. And it almost felt weird at times. I remember talking to Patty, I feel like I'm comforting the people that come to comfort me. I can't do that. He can. But here's the deal is, we weren't living by natural, of course there were natural things. You know, they had to induce her into a coma and then a deeper coma and they had to give her, we didn't say like, don't do any of that medical stuff. We said, do what you would do if it was your daughter. Believing in God and, and doctors is, is, is not, a, they don't directly oppose each other. God created Luke, who, who was one of his followers, who happened to be a doctor. This idea that like faith and medicine are opposed to each other needs to die in the church and realize it's not the enemy. I promise you it's not the devil that's putting in people's hearts to make machines that keep people alive. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy, not prolong, save, and give life. So when you see someone hooked to a machine that's keeping them alive supernaturally above the ability of their own body, the person that got that idea, it wasn't the devil that whispered it in his ears. It was the Lord. I promise. Just as much as it is the pastor who lays hands on them and, pre and prays for people, it's the Lord who put in the heart of the person to create the machine that keeps people alive. And if we, if we got to let that die once and for all. Because he's the, he's the author and giver of a life. Jesus came to give life abundantly. That means the people that are spending their lives and dedicating them to medicine so that people can have a more abundant life, they're following something that God put in their heart even if they don't realize where it came from. I don't even know where I was going with that, but <laughs> someone needed to hear that. But we, didn't deny, we, didn't, we lived by the natural in that sense. Like we said, do whatever you would do if it was your daughter. We trust you guys, you know? They'd come to us and ask us, should we do this? And I looked at them, I said, if you were prepare, and one doctor said, if you were gonna prepare a message, I'd probably give you pointers. We're talking about my daughter's brain. It feels foolish for me to tell you what to do. I trust you. Do what you feel like you would do if it was your daughter. But we weren't living by that alone. So there was the natural. But whenever the natural started to oppose what was spoke by God was when we had to turn our back on the natural, fix our eyes on what he said, and believe that, and actually have joy and thankfulness in our hearts in that moment because we believe that he who began that good work would be faithful to complete it. And anything that said he wouldn't had to bow to the greater truth. That's the way we live our lives, you guys. It's knowing his word to the point where when something says something other than what God has spoke, you can take what's said, consider it, hold it up to the light of what God has said, and you know what to reject and what to hold on to. You know what is true and what is truer. And I'm telling you, this idea that like, well, I, this is the way I was created. You, listen to me. God has never created you with something that has the ability to keep you from following his voice. We will never stand before him and say, well, it was because I was made that way. No, you were made to follow his voice. Anything else came from the fall. Yeah, God, I thank you for that. I thank you that we were created to know your voice and hear your voice and follow your voice only. And I thank you that anything that would rise up, God, any feeling, I love that it says Jesus felt hungry. 
And so you know that he wasn't a robot. He actually had to put aside what he felt and yield himself to the word of God. And he's our example in all things. God, I just thank you that there's nothing greater than your voice. There's no feeling. There's no natural thing. There's no natural desire or, or even thing that you've set up that's a good thing to bless us, that is to keep us from following when you're speaking. God, I pray that we would come to this place of just yielding to your word and saying, whatever you've said, that's already settled. We can have discussion apart from things that you've spoken about, but there's nothing to discuss when you've clearly spoken. It's so settled in our hearts. And God, I pray that we would be people that just dive into the word and let your word just fill our hearts, Father, to where in every situation, when something comes, we have an answer from the word of God and we know your heart, we know your voice. And we say, yep, that sounds like what God said. Or no, that, that actually opposes what the Lord's called me to. I can't follow that right now because of what he said. I'd go to sleep right now because I feel tired, but he told me to stay up and pray. I'd stay up and pray right now because I feel like I need to, but he told me to sleep. You know it can go both ways. My mom used to stay up praying for me all night, every night, when I was out living, selling drugs, and living in a house with a bunch of criminals and stuff, and she used to pray, stay up and pray. And then one night, God, the audible voice of God said, do you trust me with your son? And she said, Lord, you know I do, or I wouldn't be up praying. He said, then trust me with your son. Go to bed. And she actually went to bed that night and slept. I'll stay up and pray unless you tell me to go to sleep. I'll go to sleep unless you tell me to pray. What's the, what's the common denominator here? I've got to hear your voice. I have to know which one you're calling me to in this moment. Are you calling me to stand, watch, and pray? That's what I'm going to do. Are you calling me to go to sleep and let you fight? That's what I'm going to do. I'll eat when I'm hungry unless you're telling me to fast. So God, I just thank you for that. I thank you we get to this place where it's your voice. It's what you've said. It's what you are saying that we're listening to, God, and that we're living our life in response to promise rather than fear of lack of fulfillment. God, that we don't wait until we see the fruit of the promise to enjoy the peace that the promise brings. We actually pull the joy of that fulfilled promise into today and live joyfully in expectation of the fulfillment so that we don't arrive at the day of fulfillment and wait until then to experience the joy we could have had every day leading up to it because we believe you. We take you at your word. In Jesus' name, amen.